Today is Wednesday. It's July 5th, 2023, and it's 2.42 in the afternoon. Hi, I'm John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. Portions of this are broadcast Saturday nights now regularly on WGN Radio. Listen for us Saturday nights at 8 o'clock if you're driving around. Tell your friends about the Mincing Rascals and give us a good rating. You can listen to my radio show weekdays from 10 to 2 on WGN. Hey, I'm John Hansen from WGN Radio, WCIU-TV, Block Club Chicago, and the Chicago Blackhawks. Hey, what's up, y'all? Brandon Pope here, host of On the Block on uh, WCIU with Block Club Chicago and the Making Podcast with WBEZ. And now here's where Eric Zorn would normally come in. See, what would his word be today? Absence in our queue. <laughs> Eric is. Um, I'm not always doing this. I think he's at fiddle camp somewhere out west or out east. Wait, really? He's at a fiddle camp. He really is. You know, he talks about it. He, he walks the walk too. He goes to fiddle camps. He goes to fiddle camp competitions. His son is an accomplished musician and plays fiddle in a band. So. Yeah, that's Eric's. That's his jam. It's like low hanging fruit, but I do respect it. Right? Someone that who has a passion for something, yeah, gives it his all. It's a talent that he has, and it's not the accordion. So I mean, <laughs> it's, or the ukulele. I know. Actually, a friend of mine plays the ukulele. So don't don't <laughs> don't rip on ukulele okay. players. All right. Hey. You, um, by the way, Brandon, have returned from Washington, D.C. Last we spoke, you said you weren't going to watch or didn't want to have anything to do with the street race in Chicago, the NASCAR event. Did you watch any of it? No, but I saw a lot of great clips on Twitter, and they were beautiful. It was it was cool to see the skyline and see some like Chicago traffic in the distance of race cars like it looked pretty cool despite all the rain you guys had i know you liked the south side event though too brandon you were big up on that leading into it so that's the thing that i thought was really interesting nascar i think they really did better than i think a lot of leagues do when it comes to trying to gain new audiences they immersed themselves and went in places that you don't usually go and the south side of chicago is a place you don't really think nascar would go they had a fantastic event that I've heard about with Bubba Wallace um, hosting it called Bubba's Block Party. Um, they had a pit crew there doing some demos of how that goes. They got the kids involved, gave out free tickets to people that were there. Um, just those are the type of things you want to see happen with an entity like NASCAR coming into the city, actually investing in the people and going in places they wouldn't traditionally go. And I bet you, I, I have no numbers to back this up, but I bet you they may have got some new fans or at least piqued some some interest from people that may have never even thought about NASCAR before then. Before then. It was that the was most really successful cool NASCAR telecast relative to ratings they've had in six years. And I, wow. I drove into downtown on Saturday, and I got in faster than any Saturday since the middle of the pandemic. The traffic that? wasn't there. All the fear-mongering we had scared people away, and that was like the people's biggest critique of this thing was that there would be a traffic nightmare, Yeah, and everyone seemed to just be A-OK. Not that no one was inconvenienced, but that it didn't end up being the big thing that people well, were Well, the fearing. week before was no walk in the park. True. When you had Lakeshore Drive closed on that Friday especially, and everybody had to take the Kennedy in the Thursday night yeah. too. No doubt that it caused some headaches, of course. I, I, I watched the event on TV. Um, I thought the city looked great. I think they should have made it a little cheaper so that the parks looked a little fuller because uh, some of the wide shots That's and the drone the shots that would seem kind of empty. Huge TV audience. Much better than... Like four times the TV audience of Formula One in Miami. But they were straining to 
talk about the great crowds, but you never had a big grandstand shot. And, of Mm. course, a lot of that is attributable to the rain. The weather was historically horrible for this, right? Mm -hmm. Like up to seven inches of rain in some places over three that day at Midway or at O'Hare. But they were talking about these jubilant crowds, and I didn't see any. Right. And I talked to a woman who said she she uh, was given the two hundred and sixty seven dollar general admission ticket, so she and a friend went. So that's five hundred bucks walking in the door, right? She said we there were no seats for us. You get to like stand about on the fence and watch them go by for two hundred sixty dollars a pop. That's what she said. Wow, no place to sit. Uh, so then, because security and the rain and everything was kind of messing things up, they were able to go into the eight hundred and sixty seven dollar seating area. So now it's $1,700 walking in the door. And nobody paid him no mind, and they were drinking the free drinks and eating the free food in this luxury tent situation. you got to find a way to let people sit and watch the race for less than $300. Yeah, for That's sure. Crazy. Yeah, yeah and, that, and, that price is bad. Yeah. And just to, for the shots of it looking full, why not charge $20 to go attend the festival at least or something like that to to see i know the musicians were all canceled on sunday but just to even be within the tent you know it it reminds me of when i went to the kentucky derby on a triple bachelor party and i don't i didn't see a single horse the entire day but it was only 15 dollars or so to get into the infield where the party was and we had such a great time. We probably spent way too much in the beer, and we consumed a lot. And it was great, but at least we were there. The shots made it look full, and I placed a couple bets on horses I never saw. But I think that's a, a, something you could follow. Pay $10, $20, $30 to at least get into the venue space. This is a conversation being had by people that don't follow NASCAR regularly. True. And clearly there were thousands of people who said, 267 bucks I'm in 1500 bucks I'm in every now and then they would cut away to those luxury tents and suites and boxes and those people seemed to be having a swell time there were people there I don't know if it wasn't like box seats at Wrigley or the suites where it's corporate dollars and somebody gets the tickets but average people aren't paying the money to go see NASCAR. I don't think average people have. Somebody pointed out that at a time when most people don't have enough money for a $400 emergency repair of an appliance, you had to pay at least 500 bucks for you and a buddy to go see NASCAR. Yeah. Those, those things just don't line up. Yeah. I was also a little put off by some of the discourse, anti-NASCAR discourse, because I, ultimately I think a lot of people found a lot of different reasons to, in a long way, say something that is very short. They don't like people that like NASCAR, and they didn't want them in our own backyard. I think a lot of people that was they they built up this traffic is bad or oh it's too expensive or whatever it that is. It was code. I think it was code. For I mean not everybody, but I think a lot of people. Yeah, but I think that's because they think those people don't like us. They yeah. don't like Chicago. I mean, NASCAR is a southern racing circuit and the idea those people have been spoon-fed horrible things about Chicago forever. And now we're going to invite you and give you the keys to our city for six weeks to set up your two-hour race. Are you kidding me? Fair. So Well, but I mean, I, th- I think it's as true as what you just said. Probably both things are true. I, I just – because we've had big events here before, and I was just trying to 
kind of pinpoint what the animosity we was. We don't do so this for much. Lollapalooza, right? We don't. We and don't a lot care more people come, and they tear up Grand yes. Park. <laughs> they ruin that thing. Man. And, and there's the general yeah. complaining, but it's not as vitriolic as this was. And even to the point of after the fact that it ended up not being the traffic nightmare that it was. A lot of people thought it was successful. People still holding on to this, like never again. We can't let this back next year. And I, I just think there has to be an element of that. I gotta admit. And I, I tweeted about this. John saw it, kind of an I told you so thing. A lot of this curmudgeon energy was really lame. Like, a, a, a lot of it was just really, really lame. The, just the, the groundswell of it. It's almost like just hate into hate at, at, one, at, mm-hmm. at certain points. And I'm just like, guys, maybe there's a point to this. Maybe, yeah, you don't want the people that like NASCAR coming into the city because they may have bad views in Chicago. But maybe this is a chance to show the good of Chicago. Maybe this is a chance to say, hey. Here's how good we are. Here's why we're a world-class city. Here's why we're a deserving backdrop for this world-class event. And maybe we change some people's minds, right? But this this wave of negative energy that just kept coming along, even as a person who had some of the negative energy, I got sick of it. I'm like, all right, guys, at some point, just got to let, let this happen. Let it rock and see how it goes, right? Like, come on. I was um, deluged with positive responses the next day. <laughs> Monday... Yes. Brandon, our email and text line was filled with people going, uh, just what you said, you know, boo Chicago, too violent. I don't want my kids going there. My friends out of town would never come here. We loved it. We thought it was the most amazing. It looked fantastic, either because they saw it on TV or because they were there. They, I'll bet the ratio of negative to positive comments was 20 to 1. Yep. I would say this thing, I was in for Lisa right after you. And for the most part, everyone was thrilled by it. And then it comes to this point of, do you give Lori Lightfoot a little credit here? No one said her name this week at all, and she's the one that got it here. We tried. I said, hey, Pete, let's call up Lori Lightfoot and ask her if she's going to go to the thing. Remember, Neil Steinberg in the Sun-Times called this potential fiasco Lori's Revenge, and it turned out to be good enough. So was she going to show up? I think she should have shown up. I mean, this is her baby. How very Lori Lightfoot of her. You know, show up. <laughs> You know, just drop your guard. After what we've done to her. (laughs) Maybe that's it. But, I mean, we did it to her because she was like this. She was so recalcitrant. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we talked to an economist from the University of Chicago today, and he said that he thinks the revenue generated for the city will, in fact, be one-tenth of what was advertised. Now, is this real dollars, like the, the, the money transferred into the hotels and the restaurants, or does this take into account the changing sentiments that people may have in a city that they never would have visited before coming a year later or coming three months later? I imagine he's talking real dollars, right? The former. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see that, right? And they always boost these estimates. It's a good way to get things through city council. It's a good way to pump it up. But there's these intangible dollars that undoubtedly will end up coming to Chicago just on how good it looked on TV. Yeah, he wasn't counting the intangible dollars. And he said in, in the proponents were not counting the negative costs. How much money did the museums lose? How much money did other businesses lose because it was closed off? Plus, he said, if you spend 260 or $70, it's funny, it was about the same cost as a ticket, but he quoted a number just under $300 for a night's hotel. He said, actually, it was less than that. So they, they quote you the high price, the reality is the low, lesser. And then most of that money goes to Marriott's corporate headquarters. It goes to Marriott. So it doesn't go to City Hall, and it doesn't go to the guy running the business in town. Okay, but you could say that about anything. Right. We need butts right. in the seats. So I I kind of 
you know, sparred with him a little bit over his hostility to the thing. Um, but in general, he said, here's the rule of thumb. When you get a number from Lollapalooza or Taste of Chicago or NASCAR, take the number and then move the decimal over one slot. That's how much you're going to get. So if they said you're going to get $100 million, figure 10. Mm-hmm. 10. He doesn't have any hard numbers for it. And he said, here's the problem with that, too. The people who will give you the numbers are the people promoting it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's, it's NASCAR in the city. I, I believe him. I just don't care. I still think it, it's worth it because of these intangible effects that people can, can have when you look at a city skyline. And it's gorgeous. And they do these little pieces on different neighborhoods. That stuff matters to a gigantic television audience. Mattered to me. I'm with Brandon. Like the, no. I watched two days of it, Brandon, not just snippets. But when's the last time a national stage went out of its way to just say good things about Chicago? Seriously. Right. And it almost and was like – go ahead, Brandon. Well, they did wrinkle some people, though. They had like a, a, a homage to uh, <laughs> the champions of Chicago, and they left out the 2005 White Sox altogether. So that's, White, a, tra- that's a tradition, though. What did the White Sox do? Sorry. So <laughs> that's just a tradition for national media to forget about the 2005 White Sox. It's not South fair. It's not nice. Ready. Yeah. <laughs> How many graphics have we seen posted of last Chicago championships, whether it's ESPN, NBC Sports, and they always leave out? I, I think there's like a, a ploy to make us forget that year, even though it was one yeah. of the best playoff teams in the history of Major League Baseball. Really? History oh, remembers the Sox, the Go Go's. That's not the Go Go no. Sox. What were they called back then? They have a nickname. I don't know. The but if they can remember the '85 Bears, they right. can remember the White Sox. They should remember the White Sox. They lost one game in that playoff series in the ALCS. I think their bullpen pitched a total of two thirds of one inning in five games of an American League Championship Series, and in the World Series a sweep. I mean, it was an incredible. So their run. entire playoff run was one loss. One loss. They lost their first game to the Angels. Now was that in the papers? Has that been published? <laughs> People made aware of that. I can't believe I'm trying to pump up the White Sox. <laughs> they should remember, but anyways, they didn't. They did forget them. Yeah. Well, uh, one yeah, last thing. Cool. Everything one, was cool, though. One last thing about all of this, and that is, we got two more years anyway. I don't know if Brandon Johnson has the ability to cancel it. I, I, I wouldn't say he should, because we just don't know what it could be with that much rain. Um, it, there's just no telling what the ex- – maybe there will be people in the stands. 100%. One other note on that, though. People were really um, happy that it was a quiet weekend in, the, in Chicago, violence-wise. Downtown didn't see anything. The one caveat on that is it was a rainy weekend. Would things change if we had bright sunshine, warm temperatures all weekend long? It could be a different story next year. I'm happy to, that we take a victory lap on a less violent weekend than normal in the city. That's great. But was it weather-related more so than, than – uh, With the city, even on a bad weather day, looks beautiful. Those drone shots. I think we lucked out that they had to push the race back. The drones. The end of the race was at sunset. The street lights popped on. Yeah. The colors in the sky were incredible. I thought that with less racing, they had to fill. So it was also an opportunity for them to go, uh, here's a guy eating pizza. Here's Grant Park. Here's the <laughs> lakefront. Here's the architecture. So maybe that was a kind of backhanded win. Um, our Supreme Court has made some supreme decisions lately, asking what race an individual is on a college application will no longer be permissible at institutions that receive federal funding. That was a 6-3 party line vote. There is an exception to that, as I understand it. The military academies uh, will still be permitted to consider race per se, 
so as to ensure that the military maintains a diverse core of leaders. It's interesting that they say it's very important to the military to have a diverse core of leaders because it has a diverse population of of people in the military, as though that's not true for every other facet of our life. Yeah, but John Roberts was saying that it's essential to national security to have the diversity of the military. Sure, maybe that's supreme, but I think these other institutions and facets of our lives are so important that, well, we'll get into it here. Uh, College debt cannot be forgiven by executive order. The Congress can do it. The president cannot. And a divided court ruled that a Colorado Christian web designer can deny same-sex couples her services. The trend maybe isn't too surprising. It's a conservative court. Yeah. Uh, what was foremost on your mind this well, week? It was an interesting docket of cases, and they left the three most impactful ones to the end, like they often do. But it was an interesting uh, set of cases in that a couple weeks earlier, we find that the court rules in two states that they must add a black majority uh, for over gerrymandering. They have to add a black majority uh, district into some of these states. So there were some decisions that the left was very happy about before these uh, super majorities came down, the 6-3 decisions. I don't know. It's exactly what we expected for all three of them. I don't think anyone is surprised by any of them. The, the, The way the court goes and reads and i really and i talked about this on let's get legal the more people that could actually read some of these decisions and dive into them i think we would um it would calm us all down a little bit on both sides of the aisle i read all six opinions that were written the majorities and the concurrences and the uh uh i can't remember the dissents for the um for the uh affirmative action case and each one of those opinions, I found something interesting, an interesting nugget, even if I completely disagreed about it, on it. And I found the reasonings completely wrong in a couple of cases. I, I'm rambling on here, John. I guess I'm, I'm not surprised by what did the you have, sources are. Uh, what did you think about the um, vitriol exchanged by the justices themselves at each other? I think it's escalated over the past couple of years. Court historians have said that on our show, that the calling out specifically of, of arguments is not new, but it is definitely picking up in intensity now. I don't know. Which one you want to tackle first, John? Let's talk affirmative action first. I mean, these are all doozies. <laughs> what a sad day for America. I think about Thurgood Marshall, the, the trailblazing Supreme Court justice who ushered in so many great things for, for civil rights and equity and inclusion for black people and people of color overall. And then you have a guy like Clarence Thomas, who was able to be a Supreme Court justice because of what Thurgood Marshall was able to do, including affirmative action, tear it down and argue so vehemently for it. And also this back and forth he had via the opinions with Ketanji Brown Jackson. Um, It just I just what what are we doing? It just feels like this whole country is trying to turn the clocks back at this point. Um, affirmative action in higher education, you know, we got to dispel this myth that the Constitution, you know, is all about colorblindness. This is not the case. Um, and there's nothing in the Constitution that squarely goes against having, you know, race applied policies. We do these things not to exclude people. We do these things to include more people. We do these things to make sure more people have a chance at an education. Uh, affirmative action already exists in a sense through legacy admissions and people who are our brothers and sisters and, and kids of different alums and wealthy donors, right? They get in and now they get a leg up, right? 
affirmative action was put in place to make sure that black kids, Asian kids, Mexican kids have a seat at the table as well and the same opportunity to get an education. So to dismantle that altogether, um, I'm worried for what it means. There are some people that think maybe this helps HBCUs and helps attendance at those historically black institutions, but it shouldn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have to be that, oh, black people, you're relegated to these schools now. You should be able to go seek an education wherever you're qualified to do so academically. It's a disheartening decision. It was sad to see, and it's sad to see the direction this country's taking through this extreme court, turning the clocks back on things that just seem like key pivotal parts of american life affirmative action like what what white person has it hurt i'm just i'm just so baffled why it was even a thing that needed to be slashed so well um, i'm sorry but what the the white person it's hurt is the white person who qualified to get into the university of illinois or harvard and didn't because there's a finite number of avails and a person of color who qualified to get into the school 100% but maybe subjectively was not as competitive as the white guy uh, the the person of color gets in i mean that's the, the that's the theoretical person brandon that is harmed by this right no cuz cuz it could be the other case too cuz it, it, it oftentimes that is what's what's happening oftentimes without affirmative action you have academically excellent minority students who don't get in against a We'll say a white student who is not as academically excellent. You're talking just, about like legacy people that are let into the to the absolutely, colleges. Absolutely, absolutely. It just it, this just. I was surprised that the legacy numbers were as high as they were at Harvard. They are, especially at Harvard. That's I embarrassing. Mean, I mean, but Notre that, that, Dame, not far from here, their legacy really? numbers are crazy as well. Like that's the thing. Affirmative action helps add a little bit of some sort of balance. Well, there has been a lawsuit filed now against Harvard, as quick as you can be Careful about these for. legacy Not that emissions. Harvard asked for this, but are you guys um, at least persuaded that it's not as cataclysmic as you might think at first? Because John Roberts said you can mention your race, just just position it as an obstacle that you had to – that is racial bar- barriers put up because of your race are a, things you had to overcome. And it's applied yeah. to you as the individual. It's you making the case why you belong in that college as an individual. I think that's a fair point to make that instead of assigning points – and quotas were outlawed long ago – but as, as, as opposed to just generally offering people of certain races and backgrounds a, a per- leg up in terms of points or however they determine who gets in or who doesn't make the individual case for why you belong don't just check a box explain that exactly and i don't think that's the worst thing i think a lot of college admissions are going to be looking at that as a way to to move forward i was really surprised when i started digging into the polling about how unpopular affirmative action really is me too including in the democratic party yeah and that's why, just from a political perspective, it does put a little bind on the Biden administration on their reactions to what they can do in the court. And that's what makes me sad about this. We could, in each of these cases, find instances where there's a workaround or where it's maybe not shocking because we know a lot of the people in this country feel this way, but it it doesn't have to be as impactful as maybe it felt at first blush. But in general, I was just left with a sad feeling. Kind of everyone was like a kick in the gut, like, yeah, that's the way we are. And 
why do you people all feel this way? Why do you champion a web designer who isn't even designing websites, maybe for a client that doesn't exist, by the way? Right. Why are you cheering that on? Why do you care that much, except you've got some hate in your heart? And that's the thing that makes me sad. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's a married couple will still be able to get their website, and this person should be able to make a living. And if you two aren't going to do business together, maybe you never would have anyway. Right. But I hate the fact that it sort of affirms those feelings that like, yeah, that's how we feel, and we're going to support your stance on it. Yeah, the Colorado one was interesting, not not only for the fact that this woman lived about three miles away from the baker that didn't want to bake the cake for the gay couple that was ruled by Justice Kennedy years ago. And this is all set up by the fact that Justice Kennedy in his ruling, which said that the bakers don't have to bake a cake for a gay wedding, didn't really take a very great side on it. It was a very narrowly drawn ruling. If you read Neil Gorsuch's opinion, it's very similar. I actually don't think the Supreme Court knows what to do with these issues. What is more important, your religious freedom to practice your religion and how you believe it, or the freedom of speech and not to be compelled by someone else to endorse that speech? Answer that question. There is no answer. It's impossible. I actually read the Gorsuch opinion, and I actually appreciated him laying it out. I disagree that they consider a website designer an artist when she simply designs a template that people plug in information and their website appears on a... Oh, she wasn't custom crafting one for a gay couple? Not really. Well, she never did, number one. And number two... Even if she says she custom crafts it, she's using templates that design it. And when you go to this website for this gay couple, Harry and Steve, you're not thinking that it's the website designer who's endorsing the speech of a gay marriage wedding. Where's her Where's her marketing even on it? Like the lower right-hand but side. But if your core beliefs were really that homosexuality is a sin, it must make you feel uncomfortable to now have to craft a site that will, right. will honor that. What if you're a Muslim and someone wants to craft a site with a cartoon displaying Muhammad in some way, which is completely against your religion as a Muslim website designer? And they brought up these decisions in in oral arguments they they all brought up on both sides there was a slippery slope on both sides of that argument do you compel speech from people because they run a business to that they're an artist or do you limit speech it it was this fascinating oral argument and that's why gorsuch's opinion which is very narrowly drawn essentially saying that this website designer singularly, does not have to do this one thing, leaves the door open, there's going to be hundreds of more cases that relate to this free speech versus religious freedom argument. It is fascinating when you break it down like that, especially the different scenarios that can come up because of it. I do think this is setting up a dangerous, slippery slope here. It looks like we're opening the window to openly allowing some discrimination if need be. But but it is when the onus is on the individual to create something. Therein lies the speech. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, do I let a black person or a gay person into my store, but can I mandate that you create something for me that is against your beliefs? As an artist, right? Could you compel a painter to, you know, to do X, Y, or Z, to to portray To do a Nazi thing when you go, wait a minute, I'm not going to paint a Nazi thing for you. 100%. Um, I don't know this lady, but it just doesn't seem to me. I don't know if she's real. Uh-huh. She's real, <laughs> but she was recruited essentially and helped recruit a, a, a fairly 
right-wing organization to take these cases for her. I mean, this was designed... This is what my, my objection Rosa is. Rosa Parks was a test case, too, though, right? I mean, that's not unusual to find an individual Par- that represents the cause, and then you push them forward. Right, but Rosa Parks didn't stand up at the front of the bus and think, boy, this is going to get to the Supreme Court one day. This woman... And her case was designed to get to a more conservative Supreme Court. The left does it, too, with cases, too. I mean, you're not wrong. There are certain marriage cases that have made their way to the Supreme Court pretty much designed to get there and and packaged and presented that way. Okay. And it's, it's obnoxious. I don't know this lady, but I just want to know whose Christian faith is it? It seems to me like a lot of things in the name of Christianity are being done in ways that I don't think are very virtuous, are very Christian. Where's my WWJD bracelet when I need it? If Jesus was running a bakery and you walked in, I think he would make you a cake. I think he would design your, I think, I'm not sure if he would design your website. <laughs> I question the, the Christian values of these people. She did say she had gay friends, which made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> she did say, she said, I don't have problems designing work for people of that community. It's the marriage that I didn't want to do, that marriage is seen in the eyes of God as between a man and a woman. She doesn't consider herself bigoted. She doesn't consider herself hateful. She doesn't believe that that is a legal marriage under the eyes of God and that she wouldn't design a website for that. I'm more fascinated by the legal argument because there really isn't the The First Amendment lists off and rattles off all these rights that we have, speech, expression, religion, and you can't, it's really hard when these cases come before a court to decide what is paramount between those. What do you guys think about the decision that the president cannot unilaterally forgive college debt? It was actually, looking at the opinions on that, it was kind of fascinating too. It also opens a slippery slope. If you could just have a president wipe away debt, what else can he wipe away? Like, you know, I just, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. My thing is, and I'm, I'm very pro getting rid of student debt. I think that needs to happen. Um, I just think it probably needs to happen through Congress and in a way that um, isn't so um, such a lightning rod. But yeah, that, the, the case itself, I'm not surprised by that one. That, I knew that was going to happen. It's funny, though, because Mohila, it, it seemed to me like they did not have standing in this case. And when they announced the two-part decision, the first part they said uh, the president's plan holds, and the, but we were waiting the second one. I thought, well, the second one will hold as well, and it did not. Right. The logic of that surprised me a little bit, but I got the feeling that John Roberts, particularly, and other members uh, voting in the majority on that, didn't like it in principle. And so they were going to find a way to put that round peg in a square hole no matter what. Which is interesting because an earlier case that the Supreme Court de- dealt with this term was ruled 8-1 to one in favor of the Biden administration, and Kavanaugh went out of his way to say that even if you love the merits of a case, standing is number one, and you cannot leapfrog it. You can't go into hypotheticals. He wrote all this out in the Texas case versus the Biden administration, and yet had no problem issuing standing in a hypothetical way to Mohilo and college students. It was, it was a rather roundabout way to get to, like you said, a square peg in a round hole. And the court wasn't 6-3 on everything this session, this term. There were times where, in fact, the liberals held, and it wasn't always 6-3. So I thought, hey, maybe there's hope here. I have one uh, case. I don't even remember which case it was, but here was a 5-4 majority. And here's who was in the majority. Justice Gorsuch, Thomas Alito, the three most right justices, Sotomayor, and Jackson. 
Katanji Brown Jackson. Do you remember which case oh. that was? I don't off the top of my head. But you do remember? Yeah, well, I've noticed that. I was, I've been looking at the charts, and it shows the voting. And I thought, this gives me a little hope. These people aren't just doing what Donald Trump asked them to do right. or whatever. They are voting their, their conscience or their intellect, their interpretation of it, even though I think the whole idea of us governing ourselves based on a 250-year-old document is kind of silly anyway. I, I think that whenever there's a decision I look at that I'm really unhappy with, and I, I look back at other ones I've been thrilled at and realize there was another side that hated that one too. And I feel like that's the calming effect that I give myself to realize that uh, much like sports uh, in a democracy, sometimes the other side wins. And in courts, that happens too. It, we're in an abnormal time. We are so vitriolic towards each other that I think these things are so heightened. And, of course, you had Donald Trump appointing three justices, one of which he was able to appoint because Mitch McConnell wouldn't grant a hearing for That's a year. Thing. I think this is on you, Mitch McConnell. And, and, maybe Mitch is, and Mitch is probably thrilled. He's probably thrilled that this is the way these things went down. Uh, Mike Pence was very happy with these decisions. I'm sure a lot of mainstream conservative politicians went, yep, and that's why we did vote. But you cheated on at least one of the on justices. One of them. Yeah, I had no problem with uh, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in the last month. I had no problem with President Trump uh, nominating someone. Uh, that's his right as president. This all always traces back to 2015 and to the or excuse me, February of 2016 when Scalia died. That was the one out of bounds play. I really feel like that one of these teams has done, and that was Mitch McConnell not granting a hearing to Merrick Garland for what was it, eleven months. Eleven months. Yeah. Left in the term. What it really traces back to is the 2016 election. If Hillary Clinton was president instead of Donald Trump, right, probably but not worried any of this. I guess what I'm saying is, though, but nothing was out of bounds there, right? Hillary lost. She lost by the Electoral College, which is part of the Constitution. Donald Trump is president. He gets to nominate, and three justices get to get there. Nothing's out of bounds. It wasn't, maybe not what you liked, but it was all within the realms of how this country's supposed to run. But what Mitch McConnell did, I think, was the one that was... Here's my question for you guys. How would you feel about expansion of the court as a result of this yes as a, as a result of many things i'm just curious what you guys think i don't like it because we like john just said our team lost but uh, there's a lot of things i would change about the supreme court rather than expand it past nine and it has been larger than nine yep. before i would limit the term yeah, there's been a lot of talk about 18-year terms. So then every two years, you have a rotating basis. You appoint another one. Like one, the Senate. Like the Senate, right? But make it even longer, right? Like 18 years. Something that is a, a justice could really make their mark. And could survive uh, two full terms, two full of, a terms of a president, right? And yeah. then a little bit more. That's a possibility. I don't like court expansion. I like 10 years. Go I, ahead. I like when people suggest that Biden should have expanded the court. And I like to remind people that Franklin Delano Roosevelt run one by 24 points, winning every state but two. He had a 78% majority in the House, an 82% majority in the Senate. And he tried to pack the court, and he was laughed out of the room, and it nearly uh, bankrupted his second term in office. That was Franklin Delano Roosevelt at the height of any president's popularity. So what's your point? That Biden couldn't. The, the, the thought that President Joe Biden, who is underwater by 13 or 14 points and has been for uh, two years, could have tried to somehow maneuver that through. I guess that's my argument to Democrats who find these decisions, who read these decisions, and then they blame Democrats. I don't understand that. People that were blaming Biden and blaming Obama, Obama should have forced RBG to retire. I'm like, 
How is a president going to force a Supreme Court justice to do anything? That, right. You watch too much TV. No like, one wants that. that. She should yeah, have stepped that. down, though. She should have stepped down. She should have. But you can't really blame Obama for the, for her not stepping down. Can't blame Biden for it either. And and, and back to the expansion thing. I'm I'm anti-expansion as well. I just I've heard it thrown around a lot, and I just don't think it's a solution. Courts already politicized more than it should be. And if you're going to expand it, you're just going to politicize it even more. And then we're going to go down a really dark road where future presidents come in and say, OK, I'm going to put my people in. Yeah. Let's expand it to 30. Like, like how many how many <laughs> times are you going to expand it? You know, just it's going to look like in Star Wars when they have the council meetings. <laughs> <laughs> the grand council. Yes. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, I was talking to Thomas Jefferson about some of these things the other day. He is no fan, nor am I, of the Electoral College. And I think that underpins a lot of the things that we're talking about here. A really nice guy called in then, and he said, yeah, but without the Electoral College, the small states will always get screwed. And my reaction to that was, so what's the problem here? Small states should get screwed. Ain't nobody living there. States, acres, and cows don't matter. People do. He said, yeah, but then it'll always be New York and Philadelphia, Chicago, and Los Angeles. I said, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, it's as it should be. That's where the people are. I am not as flip as I sound about it, but boy, that's a... Well, he's also wrong in his general sense that the Electoral College somehow makes candidates campaign in more places, when the reality is that it makes them campaign in less. There are so many divided states that are so right and they're red, they're so left and they're blue, that we are fighting over six states. For any candidate to not go to, or to go to any state besides Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and uh, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, Carolina, makes no sense. That's where they all campaign. That's where they spend all the money in those six states because of the Electoral College. If Donald Trump could come to Illinois and try and win some votes here in 2024 if he wanted to, and that would help his cause. Not but only would the Republican candidates for president not come here, the Democrats don't either because they take us for granted. Mm-hmm. They're going to get all of the Illinois' electoral votes, and I think that's really a shame. By the way, who's to say that a Republican candidate wouldn't pick up some votes if it was just a popular vote that determined it in Illinois, in California? They might vote for you in greater number than you might think, but you're never going to go there under the current system. I also want to point out that Nixon wanted to get rid of the Electoral College, and it was Democrats who blocked it. So (laughs) there you go. It should be popular vote. Absolutely. Especially when you see how many times recently the popular vote has been so large and substantial for a candidate. Well, give Donald Trump credit. He f- they knew the game. Mm-hmm. They played mm-hmm. the game the same way Hillary Clinton could have played it and won, but they didn't. So he said, let's movie. go ahead and win all those western states. Let's go ahead and win the south. And you do. If you pick up a Michigan or Wisconsin, Minnesota, suddenly you're the president without having won the popular vote. Probably. I will never understand why Clinton did not campaign harder in Ohio and Michigan in those key states. I was covering 2016's election in Michigan. And we were all asking, when is she coming? And she didn't come to Grand Rapids till Election Day. By then, it's too late. Like, that was baffling. That was just just baffling strategy. I guess she was taking it for granted. Yeah, probably. Polling was a little off. I just am getting kind of a sick feeling talking about 2016 again. You get a knock all over again? It's just everything. Like, I mean, it just, for me, it's not even that Donald Trump became the president. It's I feel like the last time we were normal as a country to a certain extent 
was the day before that election. Yeah, forget the pandemic. Mm-hmm. you got to go to 2015. 100%. Or, or pre-November 2016. And I just missed that time when we could argue about politics and then go have beers and dinners and, you know, not lose uncles. Were we able to do that? Yeah, I think so. We were. I think it wasn't, it didn't boil us up as much where we couldn't get beyond it. We couldn't look at someone even if they just disagreed with you 100%. Nowadays, if someone just, I think, feel like most people, and there was just a fascinating article I read today, I'll have to find the source of it. Oh, it was, it was an AP story that people are now moving because of politics more than ever before. That the states like Colorado, liberals are flocking to it. state like Idaho is getting more and more conservative. We are literally moving to different places. Would you move to Florida? No. Because of the weather? Yes, but I don't think I'd want to live there from a political standpoint. So maybe I'm just as guilty, but I, I but I, there are people leaving states because of the politics in the state. And there are people flocking to states because of the politics of states on both sides of the aisle. And that... That doesn't seem right. I understand that. And, and maybe it's the perfect system that the framers wanted. They wanted these sovereign states to be their own mini democracies, to live the way, the way they wanted to live. But in this federal system that we have, and in this country where we're supposed to be coming together and be America and be great, the thought that we would have to move 50, 60 miles, uproot our lives hundreds of miles to go somewhere where we feel that we can be around other people and not be judged because of the flag we put outside on our house to the point that our neighbors wouldn't want us there anymore makes me want to go back to 2015. Don't you think that Donald Trump isn't the problem? He was the reflection of the problem. And that before Donald Trump, those people were there. Mm-hmm. They just had nobody to rally or speak their truth. Even though Trump doesn't give a wit about their truths, he at least became their focal point. So that was always there. I heard the story over the weekend of three guys that were golfing on a golf course. They needed one more for the foursome. And a guy shows up in a MAGA hat and shirt, and they go, no, you're not golfing with us. Hmm. They, they would not have it. And and by the way, I kind of get it. If you are walking onto a golf course with a MAGA hat or shirt, uh, you get to vote for whoever you want. But if you don't think that that doesn't throw off a sign, a signal that might be poorly received you're going to hurt your neck if you keep nodding that hard brandon then it's so right though you're then okay, you're the man. you're the fool there oh i'd let him golf with me Who? <laughs> the maga hat would you would enjoy go. your 18 holes i don't know i'd look forward to the conversation you would yes wow really? maybe i'm itching for a burning but i have no problem talking you think to you're going to convert them no I, I like to try to understand a little bit more, maybe get a point in, try to agree to disagree. I, this, this probably seems so well, I hope I'm sky. not in your foursome, man. <laughs> I do not want to hear the two of I you do. having that conversation. I don't know. I feel like I do try and go out of my way sometimes to talk to people that are that think way different than I do, try and find some common ground and say, oh, at least we both believe that. And that's important to me. And I and I, I don't try and convert people. I just because I also want them to see what their view of a liberal is, right? Where they think, oh, the left is so this X, Y, and Z. When the reality is the left isn't like that. Okay. And the far okay. right isn't always like that either. No, no, no. But that's good. Rather than try and persuade him off of his belief, at least him see you for who you yes. are. You're not some nut job throw money away right. crazy liberal socialist Democrat. right exactly communists socialists yes. the worst kind i'm a suburban dude who's married happens to be to a guy and that 
perception that people have of what a gay more left-leaning person would be is way different yeah. i think than the person that i but don't am. tell them that on the front nine I would, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously i would like them to go i like this guy he's pretty cool yeah, you yeah, know yeah. we and we're worried about crime and we think the government's spending too much money too and they go by the way yeah and i'm not well, just saying know, that because we're on a podcast i do kind of go out of my way to do talk to people that vehemently disagree I, I do too, and I, I pride myself, at least in the past, I pride, prided myself on having a lot of friends who I disagreed with, uh, especially Republican friends, people that leaned right. Uh, being from Ohio, that's just, it's just going to happen. There's, there's people that we were a purple state for so long, you're going to have some Republican friends and some Democrat friends and all stuff like that. But for me, I mean, I could not go golfing with this guy for me because when I see a MAGA hat, I see it like a symbol of hate. I, I see it like. He was wearing a swastika, and, and for me, I just it just it just gives off these alarm bells of like, all right, this person is not pleasant at all. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. Maybe this guy doesn't agree with everything Trump does or says, but he's okay enough with it to let it rock and be proud of it. Uh, there's a guy at my gym that wears MAGA stuff in Chicago. In Chicago, yes. And it's jarring. Every does does he have a brother? And are they on a TV show about Chicago? And then do they stalk actors at Subway at two a.m. Subway at two in the morning in January? Um, I'm curious. I do wonder. But yeah, it's it's a jarring thing. I think for a lot of people. To, and you know, maybe the problem with that. Listen, I I started this, Brandon. I I said what you just said. But maybe the problem is you and me. We're seventy million people. They can't all be bad, mirror, right? Huh? Right. So, so maybe I ought to. Maybe the problem is me, but. I also, but how is it not true that when you're wearing that, you are signaling? You're almost saying, "I'm brooking for a fight." That's the way it feels. Uh, yes. That way it feels. And 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 maybe the guy's not. Maybe that was just. It's a sunny day, and he wants the sun out of his eyes, and that's the hat that he had handy. You you mentioned golfing. I was on a golf course just this past Friday. The drink uh, woman comes around with a cart. We get to talking. She mentions we mentioned one of my other buddies is playing. He's from Minnesota. She goes, "I love Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota." Problem is, it's just as liberal as here. Can't stand it. And I'm just thinking, like, who? What? What are you bringing this up for? What's the assumption? Maybe it's because it's white guys on a golf course that she assumes we're all in her camp. But what is the why leap to that immediately? And I just said, "Well, I like Joe Biden." That's a hell of an assumption on her part. I know, I know. And what did she say when you said that? She didn't say anything. Got in her cart and... Basically. Off she went. I seemed like an average guy to her. I wanted to just let her know that that's maybe where I stood. And now she knows that people that look like that on a golf course can still be to the left. We met a real nice couple the other day. And afterwards, somebody whispered in my ear, you know, that guy is a big-time Trump supporter. And I thought... Now I got to figure out what box to put that in because lovely couple and the real nice guy. Right. Sometimes you can tell, like just like that, we have a lot in common. You and I could have some laughs. Mm -hmm. But do you need to put it in a box though? Can you just let that be and go hang out with them another time? Once upon a time, I didn't know and didn't care. Now that I do know, I do care. Put it this way, John: I have not met and befriended many people since Trump was elected that I would consider friends who are overt supporters of Trump. Maybe that's just the circle I travel mm-hmm. in, but I'll own that if that's a failing on my part. That's a personal weakness of my own. What if somebody said, I, 
the the Christian who said, "I don't think gays should marry." Doesn't that cut to your core? Doesn't that would that not be difficult for you? That would be difficult, but I don't think I'd have a problem trying to dig into that a little deeper. Yeah, so you want to talk to him on the golf course? Can you be friends with that person? Probably not. Is there something like that for you, Brandon? Is there something about which you would go, you know what, I, I, I cannot? Yeah. I think anytime I see a MAGA hat, I think this person <laughs> is okay with racism. This person is okay with sexism, homophobia, xenophobia. And for me, that's just something I cannot find any common ground on. But there's, there's other things. I mean, I've got friends who are hardcore, conservative, fiscal GOP types. Yeah, we could hang out. <laughs> but yeah. I, I got a follow-up question for you, Brandon. Policy, policy is one thing. Well, Brandon, is it that – because you, you have to admit that 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. Probably not all of them are racist. But is it the idea that they support causes and seem to – or at least turn a blind eye to causes that you would believe racist? Or turn a blind eye to the 30 million that are racist in their own – party is that what it is more than the fact that you think that each individual person that wears that hat is racist well, the thing. i don't think each person that wears it is racist i just think each and every one of them is okay with racism that's a fine line there isn't it brandon i wouldn't dare say everyone that voted for trump is a racist an acting acting racist person there's black people that voted for trump so i mean it just it just signals to me that the injustices we see if you're wearing that hat, you voted for him, that says to me you're okay with racism. I can't build any common ground with anybody that's, that's, that's just fine with racism. So we're trying to define a distinction between golfing and friendship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right, though. I think there, there are certain lines. Well, it's like the Hillary Clinton have a beer with somebody sort of thing. Um, yeah, I can rock with Mitt Romney. That's cool. If you're wearing a Mitt Romney hat, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. But I don't think that that's what I was trying to think. What would the flip side of this be? Who is the person or what is the movement that might be so toxic, polarizing, that the other side would legitimately have reason to feel the same way? I don't think it's an Obama or a Biden hat. What would be equally fairly challenging to that other person were I to be wearing that on my shirt? A trans flag. That's that's one. I think <sighs> really? That- I see. Okay. But I I saw the Pride Parade, and that looked very affirming to me. That looked very universally... Oh, I'm just trying to put myself, since there's not one here, in, in the mind of someone who would find something so vitriolic. Right. So th- that's a good point, though, John. So the three guys are golfing, and then up I come with my my trans hat or my pride flag, and they go, ah... I don't want to golf with this guy. That's yep. his thing. Uh, let's and not because they're homophobic, but maybe they just they don't like me. They've judged me. They don't like me. Yeah, they think that you're someone that you're a lib. You're part of this movement of not that you're a groomer, but you support areas and you support drag performances. There is no such thing as a groomer. I trust me. That is a fiction. Yes, one hundred percent. I was going to add maybe a Black Lives Matter hat. Oh yeah, that's a because yeah. there are people with even even black people that don't like the Black Lives Matter movement, the group itself, because um, of expenditure and stuff like that. So maybe maybe that'd be one that on the other side somebody'd be like, yeah, that's. I want nothing to do with that. You used to see them more often than you do now, yard signs. Yeah. The way you see Trump support signs or MAGA support signs. You see fewer of them now. Yeah. Hey, I watched something really fun. What's that? Jury duty. I heard what? Are you? Too many people are bringing it up? No, no, no. Did no. you watch it? I watched it. I'm, I'm not normally I in I studio my eyes with John. Brian. 
I, we're sitting next no, to each other, so we're you picking made, up. You on, didn't even roll your eyes. You made a dejected look at your I know. feet. I was sad. I was sad for you. <laughs> well, you don't like it? Uh, I haven't seen enough to pass judgment, but I didn't like the conceit. The whole idea that you would do that, I thought. How much have you watched? One and a half episodes. Watch the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I wow. hear. That's what I hear. And I normally agree with you. I don't like embarrassing people. That's it. I don't like pulling the wool over the guy's eye, the rug over his eyes, or whatever it is. But I was more affirmed in humanity than I think I've really? been in anything else. Well, he I watched. seemed like a really good guy. Just keep watching. Really? It it it's, good of a show. Wow. It makes me have amazing. faith in humanity. Wow! After and all how this, good of a person he is the entire time. Randomly when, selected. Randomly selected. I'm sh- more or less vetted, casting, vetted, but. Yeah. The number of quirky things they throw at him and how affirming he is of other people and their quirks, not knowing they're fake, to try and help someone made me think we might be okay. (laughs) Right? It just felt... And and his reaction when he finds out, it's, it's... it was moving to me. It really, I, I had tears in my eyes watching jury You're about duty to right now. Yeah, um, Brendan, I finished. I say the Bear season two had this gave me that feeling, you know, of belief in uh, humanity. I, I love shows that do that. You know, make you feel good about people. So you finished the second season of, of the Bear. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it again. I'm going to run it back because it's got some truly incredible, incredible episodes. Its love for Chicago is. I mean, it's 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 beautiful to see. Uh, Chicago's never looked better. You got to go to NASCAR yeah. to find a better view of Chicago. <laughs> but you didn't. You guys didn't feel that the Christmas episode in season two jumped the shark. That the show recovered. I haven't seen the bear either. Not a single episode. Oh yeah, I got to watch. Wow. It. You've got a journey. Uh, Brendan and I finished the marvelous Mrs. Maisel series. Oh, not yes. that that just ended, but we finally caught up with it. And I thought the cool. last episode. A lot of times these shows end darkly, or you know. With a twist, and I thought she got the uh, ending that she deserved. I agree. So I was really happy for her in that. Yeah, that was a good show. Uh, yeah, yeah. It wrapped it up nicely. Mm-hmm. We wrapped this one up nicely now, too. Brandon Pope, John Hansen, fellas, nice to see you. Take care. By the way, the last time I did this, I must have been thinking of a Brandon Pope. I said, we're produced by Brandon Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and he came up to me afterwards and goes, John, we're going to have to cut that. <laughs> Does he need the work? Ben Anderson, right. Brandon Johnson, Brandon Pope. I kind of married them all together. Mm-hmm. We're also produced by Pete Zimmerman. Thank God. I'm John Williams. We'll drop another pot on you next week. Hey, dude, uh, sorry you weren't in the studio with us. We could have had coffee together. Yeah, man. I'll bring him over next time. Yeah, let, let me come with you next you know, week. We're on hiatus just... this week. That's the thing. So we don't have a TV show tomorrow. So you were able so everything's to do lighter this. and I uh, you know, we always used to record this in studio. In studio the yeah. whole panel was sitting around in studio, breathing each other's air, germs <laughs> leaping from our mouths to our noses. It was unbelievable. Uh and <laughs> make it sound so appealing. And yeah. then a pandemic happened. Yeah. And and I don't know that we're ever gonna go back to that. And I miss it tremendously. Well, doesn't it seem now like it'd be so hard to get these people I know. in a room? That's it. Well, oh, I gotta get in my car. Yeah. Well, we did it every way for years that way. It was called going to work. Well, I live over in Andersonville. No, I'm not coming park, down. Yeah. Well, what is, you know what it costs to park. Well, at uh, least we'll have the, the live show. At least we'll have that. Hey, yeah, I'm not sure how much we were supposed to talk about that, but we did a little bit. But uh, <clears throat> So um, that's going to be pretty cool. That'll Second City, nice venue. Everybody have a drink, and then we'll uh, um, do our thing and maybe take a couple questions from the audience. Yeah, that'd be cool. We'll, mostly, I think we'll do what we just did here. And uh, as you listen to this now, know that 
If not in the next podcast, the next one will have ticket information. Cool. Okay, fellas. Great. See you, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Talk to you tomorrow. See you guys later. Bye. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 